Today we have a very special guest. Actually, in the bulletin, he was supposed to be the guest from last week. We had a little mix-up, and thanks to his uh, flexibility and, and graciousness, um, Pastor Marcus is here uh, to bring us God's Word. I've known Pastor Marcus probably since I was a teenager. He's been a friend of uh, not just our home of Christ, but many of the home of Christ, and maybe he's spoken at all the home of Christ. Who knows? Uh, I am, I'm very excited to welcome him, so would you welcome Pastor Marcus up here? Well, good morning. morning. It is good to see everybody. Uh, I am uh, always glad to be here at Home of Christ. It is, uh, this is, and I don't just say this because it's a neat word. It's it's very much like home, always has been. Um, I'm going to need, you know what, I'm going to ask if somebody could get me a a cup, because I always put my water here. I talk too much and my throat gets dry. So if I try to put it in a bottle of water, what will happen is it will spill all over the place totally mess up the sermon, right? You won't hear anything I said, but that's the guy who spilled the water in the pulpit. I remember that. that we, we don't want to do that. Oh, thank you very much. This is, I'm telling you, wow. I love it. Gift of service. That's beautiful. That is exactly, uh, it goes right with the message because we all have different gifts. Anyway, and uh, thank you. Thank you very much, both, both of you brothers. Um, I am always glad to be here. It's wonderful to see you. I want to start off telling you something that it may sound strange coming from a pastor, but it's true. Most of, much of my Christian life, I thought to myself, I could never, ever be used in the mission field. That's impossible. There's no, I'm just not that kind of guy. Here's why. Because missionaries, I thought, they all have perfect, flawless faith. They never doubt They're just always trusting God. Let me give you an example. How many of you have seen the movie Jaws? Jaws with the shark. Okay, so that's my wife's favorite movie. It still terrifies me. There's this scene where this thing, this is coming at Roy Scheider, you know, the the Chief Brody. It's, It's three tons. It's 25 feet long, and it's got all these teeth. And if I were in his shoes. I'd be scared. I'd want to kill it. You know, he's got this weapon. I don't want to ruin it if you haven't seen the movie. He's going to try to destroy it. But I would imagine the missionary would look at that shark and go, Lord, look at your creation. This is amazing. I mean, look at the rows of teeth behind rows of teeth. So if it runs out of teeth, it still can tear into its prey. This is the perfect eating machine. Lord, you are amazing. You've made this shark. I bask in the beauty of your creation. You made the shark and the sky and the sea. And if I get torn to shreds today, no big deal, because then I'm going to heaven and I'll see you. It's wonderful to see how you make everything. I'd be terrified. But in my mind, a missionary would only think of God's creation and would have no fear. What happened over time is that I realized God uses people on short-term mission trips and uh, summer immersion missions and one-year and two-year missions. Sometimes it's three or five days, and we don't all have to have it all together. And guess what? There are actually people that God uses in missions who don't have perfect faith. That shocked me. Because I thought all missionaries were people who just would have no fear and would always trust God. But it's amazing how God can use me and use you for the mission field. And I want us to think about that as we look at 
Just a marvelous passage in Acts 13. If you could come there with me, and if there are lights up here, if we could turn those on, just help me see a little bit better. Acts 13, we're going to start with verse 1. This is Paul's first missionary journey, as so many of you know. Thank you so much. First missionary journey, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. And here we go. Now, in that church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue said to them, uh, saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for us, for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And it goes on. This great sermon is preached and many lives are touched, but not without sacrifice and not without uh, opposition and not without some painful stuff for them to have to deal with. It's really an amazing chapter. I encourage you to read the rest of it. But from this, I hope with the Lord's help to draw the subject, if we could put the subject on the screen. God wouldn't call me to missions, would he? Let's ask that together. God wouldn't call me to missions, would he? Of course, you can guess my answer is he probably would. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that you use people that are imperfect and sometimes broken and certainly inadequate to touch the lives of others. That you use all of us in some way to be a light to others. Touch the hearts of those of us who are followers of yours to know where you're calling us to be a light for others, how we can be used on the local mission field or the foreign mission field, anywhere. And for those, Lord, who are here just learning about what it means to follow you, we pray that you would touch the heart of that man or woman, help them understand how wonderful it is to follow you, Jesus, because you are the one who changes our lives. You are the Savior of the world. We love you, we thank you, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
this passage is about the first of Paul's three missionary journeys. And it's easy to look at it as an American in 2019 or wherever you might be from, wherever you were born, East Coast, West Coast, or from Taiwan or Canada, wherever you're from, and miss how amazing it is just in the first few verses what a motley crew God put together of leaders in the church at Antioch. It says that there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Manaen, and, and, and Saul. Now, I want you to understand, first of all, Barnabas, that is a very, very Gentile kind of name. This was is, this is a guy who was probably Greek-speaking and, and not Jewish. The next one is Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, that means, Niger means black. Here's something interesting. Simeon, we'll talk about this later, might well have been Simon, same name, who is the one who carried the cross of Jesus. Some Bible scholars think this was he. Very interesting. And he's, he's from North, he's from Africa somewhere. They call him Niger. Then there's another fellow from Africa, Lucius of Cyrene. And then you have uh, Manaen, who's brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. This guy was a foster kid. He wasn't a biological son of Herod. That's why it says he was brought up with. He was a foster child. And Herod was a vicious, immoral man. This is the guy... I mean, this is gross. Can you imagine going out with your brother's wife? Can you imagine even asking your brother's wife? Now, that's what he did. And because of his immorality, John the Baptist confronted him and said, this is wrong. Herod had John murdered, killed. That's what this guy's foster dad was that kind of person. He was a vicious Herod. Jesus had to go before him. You can read it in in Luke 23, before he went to the cross. And this guy came up in this twisted household, and somehow Manaen got saved. By the way, rich family, powerful family. Look at the difference here of all these people. And then we have Saul, zealous Jewish guy, grew up thinking that anybody who wasn't Jewish was a mess. And finally, he came to Christ and realized that the good news of Jesus is for everybody. Do you see Jewish and Gentile? Please understand, in the first century, for people to be hanging out together and getting along and, and friends and who, who love one another, and we've got Jewish people and Gentile people, that was the big divide. That hardly ever happened. There are actually quotes of people from the first century who said, I don't know what it is with these Christians. They seem to get along really well. Jews and Gentiles. That is strange. Wouldn't it be wonderful if today in 2019, Christians were known for being amazing at how we loved people across cultural lines, across ethnic lines, across... Wouldn't it be great? All those Christians are amazing. I mean, we got a Korean family and a Latino family and an African-American family and a guy from Canada who's white and a woman from Canada who's, oh gosh, I think she's Guamanian or something. And they all get along. Those Christians, they're mate. Wouldn't that be great? That's the way we were back then. And so understand this, these folks cared about one another. And I think it's important that because they were friends, they cared about one another, they served together, they were unified that that was part of the foundation of Paul going on his mission trip. Let me put it in modern terms. As a Christian, I've learned a lot from believers who are not short black guys from California, okay? When I meet people who are Latino or Asian American or Native American or whatever, and I hear, 
what they go through. And I'm like, wow, I, I have never experienced anything like that. And they say, well, here's my perspective as a Jewish person. Wow, I never, I never thought of that. Well, here's my perspective. I'm from the Philippines, and this is the way. Oh, I never looked at it that way. It's, it helps you grow. Because, listen, I'm telling you, it would be really easy if God called me to the mission field and we had a bunch of short black guys from California, right, who uh, like the Golden State Warriors, that would be fantastic, right? And, they, and we all like cranberry juice, right? I say, hey, brother, let's go out for some cranberry juice. This must be the Lord. Oh, this is wonderful. Because everybody's like me. Do you get my point? But God had this motley crew, and their unity was a powerful thing that, that helped shape, I believe, this mission. And that brings me to point number one. Point number one, let's put that on the screen. Unity can make us more open to missions. Let's say that together. Unity can make us more open to missions. It was amazing. Now, I learned this very, very, very clearly years ago. Um, I think it was the first mission trip I went on. Strangely, I went to one of the most dangerous cities on planet Earth for my first mission trip, and I didn't know it was one of the most dangerous cities. This was Ciudad Juarez in Mexico, Juarez City, right across the Rio Grande River from El Paso, border town. A lot of bad things happen in a border town. I don't know. Now they've they got a TV show about this, I think, Breaking Bad or something. It's about all the, because all the bad guys are in Juarez, right? I don't know. There's something, I, I love our country, I'm, I'm really sad when there are more than a couple of TV shows where the main character is a drug dealer. I mean, we need prayer, do we not? I mean, literally, I actually can't count them. But I think this one's called Breaking Bad, doesn't matter. Anyway, terrible place, but I didn't know. I didn't know they had gangs. I thought all the gangs were in San Jose. And maybe Los Angeles, and you know, New York. Of course, everything's in New York. I was shocked when we got to Mexico and they had gangs. You've got to be kidding me. But it was, it was, a, it was a scary place. We went down there to minister, and we had a group of women who came who did nothing but pray. They didn't carry tracts around. They didn't witness. They just prayed. And they felt that the Holy Spirit wanted us to go up on a hill and pray for the city. But in their wisdom, these sisters said, you know what? If the Lord really wants us to do this, we will wait for the Holy Spirit to tell the leaders this. They didn't say anything. One day, one of our meetings, one of the elders one of our leaders said, you know, I've been praying and I feel like the Lord wants us to get on our buses and, and go up in the hills and pray. And by the way, we had junior hires, high schoolers, people in their 20s. I was in my 30s, 30s, 40s, 50s. We had senior citizens. We had people from Korea, Canada, the United States. We had people from Mexico and I think some of the other Central American countries. We were a big group, kind of a motley crew. And, and, and when the leader said that, the intercessors started cheering. Oh, this is great. So we did. We got on the buses because they felt like God had confirmed it. We drove up there and I assumed we'd pray, oh, God, because by the time that then I learned, wow, there are gangs and we've got prostitution, horrible things in this city. I thought that's what we would pray about. Do you know what the Holy Spirit did? We started praying prayers of repentance. That's not what I expected. This is the way they sounded. Lord. I hate to admit this, but sometimes when people say Latino, I think things that are not good. And here I am trying to be a missionary. Lord, please forgive me. God, I, 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 I'm from Mexico, and I was born in Mexico, but sometimes when I come across another Latino who was born in the United States, I, they just irritate me. But that's my pride. Forgive me, God. Or for Latinos, I'm a Latino. I was born here. I don't even speak Spanish. 
And I got to admit, I have this kind of attitude toward those who are from Honduras or El Salvador or Mexico who were born there. I mean, we had to get over our own sins and our own. And a lot of it had to do with pride and arrogance and nationalism and racism. I mean, we we were some sinful people, even some of the interpersonal things that had nothing to do with culture or race that this guy gets on my nerves. Well, then I have to. Did I say something to offend him? I have to ask for forgiveness. And then he asks me for forgiveness. We had all that so that we could finally be unified. Do you know when we finished praying, there was like 70 or 80 of us. We were all crying. Then, when we were unified, then we began to pray, God, stop the gang violence. The prostitution that's happening here is terrible. It's awful to see some of the things that are going on, the crimes that are committed. Finally, we were ready, and we went down that hill and ministered, and we got to see many people come to Christ. But we had to be unified first. And as verses 2 and 3 show us, not only do we need to be unified we needed to be people who were calling out to the Lord. Look at, look at this interesting phrase in verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. Listen to this. As they ministered to the Lord. That, that Greek word, by the way, is letorgeo. We get the verb liturgy from it. Like You notice how, how beautifully in our service we sang. And then we had a catechism. And then we have the introduction of the speaker. There's an order to it. It's called a liturgy, uh, especially it's very orderly. Please understand, that's the idea of ministering just the way Pastor Dean ministers here. The idea is that you minister to the Lord. It's not so much about order. It's about saying, God, you're first. You're the most important person in my life with a capital P. And Lord, anything I can do for you, I want to do. So they were worshiping. They were calling out to God. They were saying, Lord, I love you. I just want you to use me in whatever way you want to use me. And then they heard from the Holy Spirit. And then it was clear who the people were who were called. In this case, Saul and Barnabas, this is their commissioning. But they had to worship first. And that brings us to point number two. Point number two. And put that on the screen. May we worship, pray, fast, and submit. Let's say that together. May we worship, pray, fast, and submit. You never know when a leader will say, I really believe God's got some work for you to do for him. Right here in Silicon Valley. Or maybe 50 miles away. Or maybe 1,000 miles away. Or maybe in the Pacific Rim. Or maybe in Africa or Somewhere else, you never know where God may call you for a few days or a week. But you've got to call out to the Lord first. And sometimes God's got to get your attention to get you to pray. Years ago, uh, actually a couple decades ago, I was convinced I knew what the Lord wanted me to do. And I was very comfortable. I was serving at Bayshore Christian Ministries where a brother used to, used to be a tutor. I think we may have one or two who are tutors there. And I was comfortable. Things were going great. I didn't want to go anywhere. I had absolutely no plan of going anywhere. And I went to visit my cousin, who's a pastor in Mobile, Alabama, and I preached a sermon. And you know what he said to me? Marcus, you know what you need to do? You need to be a pastor. I said, no, 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 I'm doing urban ministry. It's coming fine. I really like Bayshore Christian. No, 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 no. He said, no, 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 that's what I think. And I argued with him. And then he mentioned it in front of family members. And they said, oh, yeah, we think you should. No, 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 no. Then a couple of, couple of months later, some of you know what I'm talking about. When God's calling you, you kind, of, you kind of fight with him, right? So I was on the East Coast. I saw some friends of mine, and I didn't even preach a sermon. I don't even remember why they said this. Oh, you should be a pastor. I said, nah, 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 nah. I'm doing urban ministry. And then I tried to go to sleep that night. I couldn't sleep. Tossed and turned the whole night thinking about this. 
had a six-hour plane flight from Boston. All I could think about was, what if they're right? What if they're right? What if they're right? And eventually I realized, oh, this is, maybe this, I prayed about it, and I realized this is, I guess this is what God wants me to do. So I got some friends together, probably not as many as I should have, because I found out the hard way. I'm not really great at church planning, but God still calls me to it sometimes anyway. And so it should have been a bigger group, but... And, you know, we were, I was, and this is 20-something years ago. Was, the church that I was founding was called uh, a Church of the New Life. And a friend of mine told me uh, when he found out that I was going to do this, oh, Marcus, planning a church? Don't do that, man. He goes, you shouldn't be a church planner. That's going to be a disaster. It's a direct quote. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> and we're in a small group together, right? So he knows me. Kind of scary, but I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. So anyway, week before the church, he calls me up. Hey, hey, man. Well, you know, my dad was a, a deacon at his church, and we've got this beautiful communion set. And I, it was in our garage. He said, oh, it's not dirty, man. I washed every single cup. It's gorgeous. I want to I donate it to you so you can start your church. He's sounding all supportive. And I was like, oh, that's great. Okay, yeah. So I'll come get it. Oh, no, don't come. I'll drive to you. So he drives down to San Jose or Santa Clara where I was living, gives me the... And I said, man, I'm surprised, you know, because you said, oh, no, oh, I, 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 yeah, I said that, but I was just a little concerned. I said, no, you said it was going to be a disaster. And he goes, oh, man, did I say that? <laughs> yeah, you did. Because, by the way, it's very vulnerable when you feel called to ministry, that when you're right on the precipice, right just about to make that leap, it's scary. It's very vulnerable. But I see it, and he's, oh, man, I'm so sorry, and I... So I'd forgiven him, moved on, started the church. It never really grew much. It was never really a very large church. Average attendance of maybe 7.82, something like that. Very, very small, you know. But, uh, and it only lasted a couple of years. So in a way, I guess you could say he was right. It was a disaster. After two years, had to close down. And I remember grieving, feeling sad and saying, maybe God didn't call me. Maybe I completely missed the boat. Maybe I, I made this stuff up in my head. I'd kind of forgotten about my family members and others. Going, you need to, you know, you need to do this. Or maybe I should have you know, gone to an established church instead of starting one. But here's where God spoke to me. Talking about worship. Took a weekend away, fasted, and I prayed. And I listened to, to me, one of the great, great Bible scholars of all time, Dr. Ray Stedman, the late pastor of Peninsula Bible Church. And he has this set of sermons he preaches to pastors. Here's what he said. If you're worried if God's called you to something and you're looking back on it, there's one litmus test. Was the kingdom of God advanced at all? Now, I'm a football guy. How many people like football? Anybody? Some people can't stand it. My wife just hates it. She said, it's an evil game. <laughs> That's what she says. She thinks it's terrible, right? I don't know why she's married to me. I guess we just love each other, right? Motley crew, like I said, body of Christ, motley crew. Anyway, I love it. And so I'm going to use football analogies. It's kind of like this. If you're like me and you do something for the Lord, you want touchdown after touchdown. after. That's first down. First down is no big touchdown. After. I want to be ahead by 49 points. Let's beat these people by 56, man. That's like, you know, all these touchdowns. And we're just killing them. This is great. But the reality is sometimes you just get a little one-yard run, and that's it, and you're tackled. And you got hit hard, and it hurts, and you're limping around. And sometimes you get stuck for a loss, and that's even worse. That's even more embarrassing. So here's what he's, to put it in football terms, what if I only get three yards, never get a first down, and this team doesn't continue in perpetuity? What if, what if that's all that happens 
Is this God? Here's what Dr. Ray Stedman said. If the kingdom of God is advanced, somebody heard the gospel. Did they get saved? Maybe, maybe not. They heard the gospel. You counseled somebody who was going through something and gave them godly counsel. You're praying for people. You look somebody in the eye and say, I want you to know God loves you. And they said, who cares? You're a weirdo. You're one of those religious nuts, aren't you? But you still said God loves you to someone. The kingdom of God maybe was advanced a centimeter, an inch, a foot, maybe a couple of yards. I might not have ever gotten a first down. But we still did some things for the Lord. And that was enough. It it helped me see, you know what? Maybe there are other people who plant a church and it grows and it's wonderful. That didn't happen. But we still got to do something for the Lord. Here's what was happening. I wanted to see the victories right away. And often they didn't happen right away. In this marvelous missionary journey, which is in the Bible, of course, amazing things happen right away. I mean, look at they are they're on the island of Cyprus. Godless island. I mean, I, I want to try to put this so that it's not too horrible. Let's just put it that way. Everybody knows how evil human trafficking is, right? Can you imagine an island where every single female at some point is forced into trafficking? The entire island. Evil, horrible place. Visitors uh, fr- to, to, to that island said that when they went there, they noticed that all, everyone who was female was depressed. It was a terrible place. There was idolatry and witchcraft and evil. There was a goddess that people worshipped, Aphrodite. It was terrible. And they were greatly in need of the gospel. So this sorcerer, by the way, sorcerers and astrologers are always standing against the Lord. Every time. Read your Bible. There's nothing good about astrology and sorcery. And don't believe this stupid stuff in Hollywood. There's no such thing as good magic and bad magic. If it's not the Lord's work, it's the devil's work. I'm serious. There's no good magic and bad magic. They're standing against the Lord. But in spite of all that, Sergius Paulus gets saved, the proconsul. We find out from history that his daughter got saved and his, uh, 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 his, his grandson. So here's a guy that the Lord wanted to make sure got saved and the enemy fought, but the devil lost. God won. Great victory. And this leader, this important leader, gets saved. That's the Lord at work. And sometimes when you're on the mission field, you get to see those victories. They don't always happen quickly, but in this case, they did. And that brings us to point number three. Point number three. In missions, we experience the Lord's awesome victory. Let's say that together. In missions, we experience the Lord's awesome victory. It's not always quick. Sometimes it is. I want to tell you about something that happened when I was on this mission trip. Uh, We got to see people whose lives were changed. There was one man. How many know any Spanish at all? Anybody know any Spanish at all? All right. If I say el hombre malo, anybody know what that means? El hombre malo. The man, what kind of man is he? He's a bad man. That was this guy's name in the town. I don't even know if he had a name, if anybody called him, if his name was Juan or Pedro. I had no idea. But they called him el hombre malo. Drunk all the time, mean, loud, foul-mouthed. But somebody from the mission team, again, the unified mission team, shared the gospel with him, told him about the cross. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Your sins can be wiped away. El hombre malo gave his life to Jesus. And his life was changed like that. He stopped drinking. There were people in the town who said, hey, you missionaries are lying to us. They said this in Spanish, of course. 
Ciudad Juarez, tough, tough town, and a very tough neighborhood. You're li- That's not El Hombre Malo. I know that guy. He cannot look like that. I think you're trying to trick us. That's not the same guy. What they didn't know is technically they were right. Because when you come to Christ, we are, you become a new person in Christ. Amen? Old things are passed away. The new, new, the new has come. He was a brand new guy. And then one of our, 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 our missionaries said, this is amazing. How, wait a minute. Isn't there... Every time I read in the Bible, it says there's spiritual opposition. The enemy gets upset. It's great that this guy got saved, but how did this happen? One of our high schoolers, a very prayerful young lady, said this. She said, I was praying for us. I was praying for our mission, and God showed me what happened. It got so quiet. All 75 or 80 of us, we wanted to hear what did she say. This is what she said. There was a tent. God showed me there was this beautiful white shield over us. It looked like a tent. And as I was praying, I could see it. And literally there were arrows flying at us because the enemy was trying to hit us with these arrows. But the arrows kept bouncing off this shield. And I want you to understand, it was beautiful, like a pure white. It was glowing. I can't even describe what a pure white this shield was. And the arrows could not pierce it. And the more the arrows flew and bounced off, the more we preached and the more we witnessed and the more people got saved. She said, I know God protected us. I saw it in the spirit. She was like 15 in high school. Gives me chills to think about that. I didn't have that kind of faith. I hate to admit it. I didn't even know God could do stuff like that. I thought it was all in the Bible. But he did. And that's how El Hombre Malo came to Christ and others. We had that victory because God was doing this amazing thing. And he took a group of people just like Paul and these other folks who were from different backgrounds and different perspectives and different races and different socioeconomic economic situations. And he still used us to do his work and different personalities. Look at verse 13. It turns out John, that's John Mark, guy who wrote the gospel of Mark. Guess what he did? They're on a mission trip. What did he do? He went home. He just decided I'm leaving. We don't know why. Some people think he was a spoiled rich kid. Might have been. We don't know. He went home. If you go to Acts 15, you'll find out Paul got upset about this kind of and said, look, if we're going to do more missionary work, this is the second missionary trip, you can take John Mark with you, but I don't want him. He left us when we were in Pamphylia. But Barnabas said, no, no, I think he could could be great. So Paul said, fine, you take him. I'm not kidding. So Barnabas, Barnabas, you went this way with John Mark, and Paul went that way. And, and God used it. But we have different giftings, different personalities, even to the point where you could work really well on one missions team and not very well on another. That brings me to point number four. Point number four. We all have different gifts, different callings. Let's say that together. We all have different gifts, different callings. And I say that because it's so easy to get caught up in ministering and being comfortable where you get to minister to people that you're really familiar with and you think, hey, this is going great. But sometimes it's because we're really not trusting God. I want to give you an example from my culture. In my culture, you, you, can, you can go to a neighborhood that's predominantly African-American. You'll see this church. It'll be like St. Mark's Baptist Church, right? And three blocks over here, you have St. Luke's Missionary Baptist Church. And you would think these folks are more missions-minded than those. But you know what? To be honest with you, if they're both black churches, guess what? When they minister to people, if they're here in the United States, guess what? They're all black. And if they travel out of the country, they minister to people, they're all black. 
It's like they're not ministering to anybody else. And they think of it as a missionary. Maybe, maybe not. But I just want to encourage you to think about this. What if God's calling you to minister to people who speak a completely different language? Maybe they look like you. Maybe they don't. What if God's calling you to minister to people who are from a totally different culture, who live in another country, who have a completely different perspective on life, who socioeconomically can't even relate to you, or who are people that you can't relate to socioeconomically? What if their whole perspective on dating or, or marriage or, or some of the things that you just take for granted, what if when you think of yourself, well, you know, am I going to take one shower today or two? To them, that's like, what? You have a shower? Man, you're rich. What if God's calling you to that? For a week or three days or a month. I can almost guarantee you you'll grow more. So I want to give you a a few examples of God stretching you because I think it's good to be stretched. Uh, here, Here are a couple that are local. If you have a friend who goes, let's say, on a Mexico mission trip. Mexico is a place where a lot of people go. What if God wants you to go with them on that next trip? They may be part of home of Christ. They may not. doesn't matter. What if God wants you to call, hey, listen, could you use another person to come? And whatever your gifts or talents are, you could use them on that mission trip. Or here's one. I promised uh, Pastor Dean I would say this because I have a friend who does something that I think is marvelous. My friend Victor Kwan is the pastor at Mountain View Chinese Christian Church. Their English ministry is called Intersect. And every year, the folks in that church link up with people from CCIC in San Jose. And you know where they go? They go to a Native American reservation. Now, that's almost another world. If you're not Native American, it's almost another world. And as far as I know, there's no one at CCIC and no one at Intersect who's Native American. But they go because they feel called. And by the way, this is almost another sermon. In my opinion, as much oppression as African Americans have experienced and Latinos and others and Asians, I believe Pacific Islanders, perhaps the most oppressed people in the United States of America, perhaps, are the Native Americans. And if you read your Bible carefully, not politically, if you read your Bible carefully, you'll notice that God hates oppression. And God wants us to care about the poor and the oppressed, no matter who they are. It's very, very strong biblical language. Isaiah 58, there are other passages. So they go every year. What if God's calling you to check in with Pastor Victor Kwan? at Mountain View Chinese Christian Church and intersect and say, can I help? When's the next trip? What if he is? What if he is? And then I don't want you to pretend you always have to go somewhere. It could be local. I want to tell you a story. One of the most amazing stories of witnessing I've ever heard has to do with an ordinary thing like a Kleenex box. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. True story. Godly woman. She's part of her Bible study at work and they want to be a light to their coworkers. They've seen the mistakes that some Christians make, and you know the ones. They're always screaming about what they're against. Oh, the United States used to be such a godly nation, and now we've got this abortion thing in the LGP. I'm so sick. I'm sick, 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 sick. And they think that they're being godly. But what people hear is, you are so angry. You sound so hateful. And you say you love God. That's what people hear. They didn't make that mistake. They just said, hey, let's pray and ask the Lord, how can we be a light in our office? And the Lord said to them, you should pray for the people in this office. And all the Christians at the Bible study agreed. By the way, little sidebar, if you're working 
and there's a, there's a Bible study and you're not part of it, you should join. There's a prayer group, you should be part of it. You want to be linked up with the brothers and sisters there in your office. Very important. So they decided they were going to do it. They had one sister who was really great with decorating. She's the opposite of me. I couldn't decorate. If you paid me a million dollars, I couldn't make this thing look good. I'm a math major, right? I can, I can figure out exactly how long it is. I can give you length and width and depth. And if you want volume, I can figure that out easily to like three or four places. That's easy. But decorate it and make it look good? Forget it. Don't talk to me about warm colors and stuff. There's no such thing as a warm color. What are you talking about? It's not my gifting. She was gifted, so she made this thing look wonderful and beautiful, and they put a sign on her that said something like, need prayer? We'll pray for you on both sides. Need prayer? We'll pray for you. And they set this on the desk of, let's say, Sister Jenny. Everybody knows she's part of the Christian group. Guess what? People who didn't know the Lord, people who never go to church, people who have no interest They don't want to come to your women's Bible study. They don't want to come to your men's group. They don't want to come to your small group. No, they're not coming with you to church. But their dog got hit by a car. And they're depressed. Could you pray for Rusty? That's my lab. I've had him for seven years. He's my favorite. He's a wonderful dog. He's the best dog in the whole wide world. Could you pray for Yeah, we'll pray for Rusty. Oh, my girlfriend. My girlfriend, uh, she, she's uh, really upset because she was trying to get into grad school and she didn't get into her top school. Could you pray for her? And they weren't going, now I want to know if she's your girlfriend. Is there any, are, are you morally? Uh, we make that mistake. Sure, we'll pray for your girlfriend, your mom, your brother. And you don't have to put your name. You can just say, hi, I'm very stressed at work. I'm terrified that I'm going to get fired because I messed up and I think my boss hates my guts. We'll pray for you. These Christ- the, the prayer requests came in like a flood. And guess what these Christians were known for? We love you. You know why we love you? Because Jesus loves you. That's what they were known for. Do you see it? What a light. So their workplace, hear me, their workplace became their mission field and they used a Kleenex box, a beautiful one. Amazing, amazing. And I'm sure that they had a great deal of joy. Listen, look at these brothers and sisters here. They, they witnessed, they have opposition. And later in the chapter, we find out that some of the people who were Jewish who did not want to hear about the gospel got angry and threw them out and they didn't care. They still began to share the gospel. Then they started sharing the gospel with non-Jewish people, Gentiles, that's most of us here, And the good news spread, and many people came to Christ. And here's the last verse of this chapter. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound wonderful? And it is. That's one of the great things on the mission field. Point number five. Point number five. Let's take a look there. In missions, we experience great joy. Let's say that together. In missions, we experience great joy. And they did. Let me just share with you. Even though I can't be sure that Simeon is really the Simon of Cyrene, I think he was. Let me just share why I believe that is and and share how some of the joy might have touched their hearts. It is true. You can look this up later if you want. Uh, Simeon was the guy who, uh, there was a man named Simon who carried the Lord's cross. And it turns out, if you look at it in Acts 13.1, here he is listed. And it looks like in the original Greek, uh, Simeon is listed right next to Lucius of Cyrene, so Simeon is called Niger, which means black, and then he's listed right next to 
Lucius from Cyrene, Cyrene is in North Africa. I want you to hear this. It, in, the, in the original Greek, it looks like a pair. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, hey, our two brothers from Africa, right? You're like, our two brothers from Canada, right? Or our two brothers from Australia. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way it looks. I'm just, I'm just telling you the way it looks in the Greek. So that's one of the reasons that I think this is the same guy. Uh, it also turns out in Mark 15, 21, uh, Simon is identified as the father of Alexander and Rufus. You can read this later. In Romans 16, 13, uh, Paul says, greet Rufus. And he talks about Rufus's mom. And he's really talking about Simon of Cyrene's wife, who's like a mother to Paul. And a little archaeology. Get this now. In November 1941, archaeologists uncovered a tomb uh, on the southwest slope of Kidron, which is in the Holy Land. And inscribed in the tomb, it says, this is the grave of Alexander, the son of of Simon the Cyrenian. And guess what? According to church tradition, Alexander, who was Simon of Cyrene's son, became a missionary, and he died on the mission field. And so I think this was, we can't be sure. I think this was the guy. Just imagine if he were. And then there's a great story I want to share with you. Again, I can't be sure that this is true. It's a tradition. They say that Simon, if you, and just so anybody who doesn't know the story, Jesus is being forced to carry the cross up a hill. I mean, and, and it's very painful, and he's been beaten, and he's bloodied. And the Bible says, by his stripes we are healed. And I mean, he was horribly tortured before this. And even though his God, his physical body, could not handle it. And at some point, he probably collapsed. And a Roman soldier exercises right. A Roman soldier can force you to carry anything for a mile by taking his sword and putting it on your shoulder. And that's what he did. He just picked somebody, and Simon just happened to be there. Probably was there for Passover. Probably just a guy who was Jewish and just wanted to go to Passover. Bam, he gets forced to carry this cross. 30, 40 pounds if it was the crossbar. 50, 60, 70 pounds if it was the entire cross. He's carrying it. And according to this story that was circulated at that time, and some people still believe it, Jesus reached out and touched Simon on his shoulder. And Simon says, after that, I couldn't feel the weight of the cross, and I felt no pain. I only felt the hand of Jesus on my shoulder. That's a story that circulated in that part of the world for 2,000 years. I don't know if it's accurate. If it is, can you imagine running into Simon and getting to talk to him about what was it like when Jesus touched you on your shoulder? Do you see the joy? that you would have talking to him. And even if that story is not true, we've got a guy named Monoton who grew up in a messed up, terrible, immoral family. His dad was a hateful guy, had somebody murdered, and he came to know Jesus. He can talk about life change like no one else, amen? You imagine the joy that they have talking to him, seeing people's lives change. I mean, God is at work, and they get to be a part of it. It's a wonderful thing. And just in case God's calling you to something in missions, let's go to the... The next slide, really quickly, I want to give you just a few pointers so you can get a sense of God's calling you. Number one, worship. In fact, could you say that with me? Worship. Know your gifts. Leave your comfort zone. Serve. Listen. You never know when a pastor or an elder might say, I just think that God's got something special for you. I I see that in you. I I sense it. You never know. And you can argue with them like I did. (laughs) But if the Holy Spirit's speaking to them, eventually you're going to need to give in. You never know when God's got something different for you. Worship. Know your gifts. By the way, let me just say this. You probably know this. If you Google spiritual gifts test, tons of sites will come up. 
Click on one, and in 15 minutes, you'll know your spiritual gifts if you don't know what they are already. And then once you find them out, please, please go right to Pastor Dean or one of the elders or small group leader or anybody. He's like, how can I? These are my gifts. It has to be right. I got this off of Google. <laughs> Can't possibly be wrong. <laughs> these are my gifts. I mean, God gave us Google, right? It's obvious. <laughs> Come on. They're my gifts. How can I use these? You never know how God will use it. I want to just give you one, one thing that happened to me that gave me joy, and then, then we'll close. I, this really happened on this mission trip. Uh, we, went, we went door to door, and we, we went to this one door, and a young lady came out, and our translator began to share with her the gospel in Spanish, how Jesus loves you, and he died on the cross for you, and all of that. And she did something I've almost never seen in my entire life. She just dropped to her knees like this, and she began to weep. And I would love to tell you I had spiritual thoughts, but my first thought was, I got my favorite pair of khakis on. And if I drop to my knees, I'm going to mess them up. And by the way, this is a poor family, so there's, this, there's no grass here. It's not like a nice welcome mat. There are rocks. They look very sharp to me, and there's dirt. And I'm thinking, I'm going to drop to my knees in rocks and dirt? I hate to admit that. And I said, Lord, forgive me. And then I, I got on my knees. And she with tears streaming down her face, turned her life over to Christ right there in front of her house. As long as I live, I will never forget seeing this young lady come to know the Lord. It had nothing to do with us. Because again, my first thought was about my khakis, I hate to admit. It had nothing to do with our team. It had to do with the power of the Holy Spirit to change people's lives. And I wonder if there's even one person today who's never met Jesus. I want you to know, why am I talking about all this stuff? Not just because I've done missions and, oh boy, it was powerful. Because Jesus is the Savior of the world. And he changes lives. And if you don't know Jesus, I hope you'll want to come to know him today. Because he can change your life too. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I just want to ask a question. I wonder if there's even one person who's never met Christ You've probably heard the scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That means you won't die spiritually, but will have everlasting life. You can live forever with Jesus. And all you need to do, it's a simple process. It spells R. Admit you need him. That's the A. Repent of your sins. That's the R. That's God forgive me. And T, trust in Jesus. Turn your life over to him. Admit you need him to be your savior. Repent and trust him as the head of your life, the CEO of your life, and he will literally change you into a new person. You won't be perfect. None of us is a perfect person, but you will be brand new because of Jesus and the cross. If there's even one person, or maybe there are two, and you've never decided to follow Christ, but somehow you know today's the day, would you just put your hand up and we'll lead you through a prayer to come to Christ? If, speaking of those who maybe don't, you don't already consider yourself a Christian, but today you feel like you need Christ. Is there anybody? I don't, I don't see any hands. That's okay. You don't have to pray that prayer in church. You can pray at any time. Admit you need Jesus. Repent of your sins. Trust him. I want to ask a different question to those who are already believers. If you get the sense that God's got something for you to do, local missions, foreign missions, office place, or maybe some place that's hundreds of miles or thousands of miles away, or at least that God wants you to consider it more, if that's you, God's speaking to you, having more of a missions-minded way of looking at the world. Would you put your hand up? I see those hands. Thank you. for the, I see 
Left, right, and in the center. Thank God. You can put your hands back down. We're going to say a brief prayer for you and for me because I want to be more missions-minded as well. Lord, thank you so much for everyone who put their hand up. And anyone who's still wondering, could God use me in that way? Touch us, God. Help us. Guide us. Make us more like you. Help us to glorify you and honor you and praise you. And whatever we can do, that would that would make you smile, that would be an act of worship, that would bring you joy, because it's really not about our joy. It's your joy, God. Whatever we can do on the mission field, let it be done, that you may be glorified. We ask all this in the great and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I could ask the offering ushers to come.